Kyle? Well, good morning. Um, I'm Don. I'm one of your pastors here. And it's great to be with you on, um, on this Palm Sunday. Um, just a couple things about what's the week that is ahead. So uh, Thursday night, we will be up here. And we will have what we're calling uh, the Path of the Cross. It starts at 6.30. And again, everybody's welcome. And it should be a really great time of experiencing what the cross means for us. And then Friday night, uh, we will be joining with other churches in Claremont. And we will not be meeting here. But we will be meeting down at the Claremont Colleges at Balch Auditorium. The address is on that flyer. And it's a, it's a really great time to be with other Christians from our community to, to really think about and and uh, kind of contemplate the, the cross. And I'll be, I'll be speaking a little bit at it, so there will be a bunch of different pastors that will be doing that. So, again, I just encourage you to come on Friday night. It's a, it's a really great time to, to do that. So. Um, so it is. It's Palm Sunday. Uh, if you think about the way we do church in, in Christianity and, and holidays, uh, Easter has nothing compared to Christmas, right? In our culture, at least, right? In, in our culture, it's all about Christmas. It's all about buying the gifts. It's all about that whole thing. And, and Easter gets a little bit shortchanged, if you be honest, right? But this is the most important week in the church. It, it is. There, it is called Holy Week for a reason. And we stand here today on Palm Sunday at the beginning of this week, the, this most important week. That is ahead. And um, in the scriptures, uh, all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all write about this coming of Jesus into Jerusalem. There's very few events that that is in all four of the Gospels. If it's in all four, that means this is really, really important. And so what we'll look at today on this Palm Sunday is crucial to uh, our faith. It's crucial to what is going on in Jesus' life. And again, it's in all four of the different Gospels. And we're just going to read today from the, the account that's found in Gospel of John. So you can follow along in your, um, your Bibles. It'll be up behind me. It's also in your uh, study notes. It's on the back side. So here we go. John 12, starting at verse 12. It says this. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. The festival is the Passover. Again, it's one of the most important religious uh, holidays of the Jewish people, and that is what the crowd is all going to Jerusalem for. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, which as Kyle reminded us means, Lord, save us, save. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. The the quote is from an Old Testament prophet hundreds of years before Jesus' birth that was prophesying, this is how the Messiah will come into Jerusalem. Verse 17, Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and had raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed a sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. See how the whole world is coming to see this Jesus who had raised Lazarus from the dead. 
Then there's a group of Greeks that are there for the uh, Passover that say to Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, hey, it's a beautiful statement. We want to see Jesus. Can, can we see Jesus? Can you introduce us to him? What an incredible opportunity. We want to see Jesus. I wonder who you know that might be wondering that same thing. Someone you know, you were at work or in your community is saying, you know what, I'd really like to know Jesus. Could you introduce me to him? So Philip and Andrew take him to Jesus, and then Jesus says this in verse 23. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. And then here's our question of Jesus. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So we're looking at all, all these questions that Jesus asked, and this is one of them. This is, this is the only one I think that is a rhetorical question, maybe. I'm not sure. But he says, my soul is troubled. He stands there on this Palm Sunday, coming into Jerusalem with all that's going on, and he knows what is ahead. And his soul is troubled within him. And so the question is, uh, what shall I say? Shall I say, Father, save me from this? And he says, no, this is why I have come. And he says, Father, glorify your name. It's all about you being glorified. So we're going to walk through this question and how important it is and, and how important this day is and the week that's ahead for Jesus. So he says a couple different times, the, the hour has come. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. The time has come for Jesus. There's a bunch of times in Scripture, especially in the Gospel of John, where Jesus will say, it's not my time. Most notably, it was at the wedding of Cana in chapter 2, where um, he's at a wedding, they run out of wine, and his mom says to the attendants there, hey, you guys, do whatever Jesus tells you to do because he can turn water into wine. And Jesus looks at his mom and says, Mom, it's not my time yet. I know, right? But he goes ahead and does the miracle and all that. But time and time again, we see Jesus saying, it's not time, it's not time. Now we get to this. He says, okay, this is time. The hour has come. And, you know, it's amazing if you look at the scriptures, so much of what is written in the Gospels is this final week that we're about to look at. Between 25 and 40% of each gospel is this last week. This last week of Jesus' life is what it is about. His time has come. The other thing we'll notice here, and this is what I believe that this question is about, is the obedience of Jesus. The obedience of Jesus. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was obedient to the Father. At all different times in his life, he's obedient to what the Father wants him to do. He does not do just what he wants to do, but he does what the Father tells him to do. In John chapter 5, he's talking to a group of Jews who are angry with him and wanting to kill him, actually. 
And he says this in verse 9, it says, uh, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son, of Ma- the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Jesus says, I, I can only do what the father tells me to do. I can only do what he shows me to do. I'm not doing this of my own. I'm obedient to the Father. A little bit farther in that chapter, in verse 30, he says, by myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. I only do what to please the Father. That's what Jesus continues to say. But in the incarnation, we have this incredible duality of the, that Jesus was fully man and fully God. And, and, he, and he, has his, he faces temptation. In Hebrews chapter 5, it actually talks about that the son learned obedience. Now, the theological truth of this is pretty wild. As the son of God, he cannot be disobedient to the father. As a 100% man, he can struggle with obedience sometimes. But because he was this, this 100% God, 100% man, he cannot be disobedient but he learns obedience and he grows stronger in his obedience over time. And he has greater resolve and greater desire to do what the Father tells him to do. And so that is what happens. And you see this throughout his whole life. And it begins when he's tempted by Satan. Again, this is in three of the, of the Gospels, Matthew chapter 4, Mark 1, and Luke 4. In each of them, the devil comes to Jesus. Jesus is out in the desert. We read this in our core group this week, but um, he's out in the desert for 40 days and he doesn't eat. And then there's this great line in the scriptures that says, and Jesus was hungry. Okay, thank you for letting us know that he was hungry after not eating. And then Satan comes to him and says this, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Jesus says, you know what? Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from our Lord. And then Satan takes Jesus to the top of the temple in Jerusalem and says, hey, Jesus, throw yourself off because your word, the scriptures say that your angels will catch you and take care of you. See, Satan tries to twist the word of God. And Jesus says, no, you're not supposed to put the Lord your God to the test. And then Satan takes Jesus to a mountaintop and says, look at all the kingdoms of the world. These belong to me, Satan says, and I'll just give them to you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus says, oh no, you're supposed to only worship the Lord your God. And this temptation is going on and on and on. And uh, Henry Nouwen, in a book called In the Name of Jesus, which is written for Christian leaders, says these are three temptations that everyone faces, especially people in positions of leadership. It's the temptation to be relevant. Wouldn't it be incredible if you could turn stones into bread, especially when there are people starving? Gee, and then now one says the second one is it's the temptation to be spectacular. Can you imagine what it would have been like if Jesus did jump off the top of the temple and come down and he was caught by angels? The crowds that that would gather, the spectacular nature of who Jesus is. 
And then the third temptation now says it's the temptation to be powerful. You can have all the kingdoms of the world, Jesus. For me, I also see this as a way that Satan's trying to sell Jesus. Hey, Jesus, we all know someday all the kingdoms are going to be yours. Why don't you just skip what's ahead? Don't worry about getting these disciples. Don't worry about going to the cross and facing that. I'll just give this to you. Right, It's a shortcut, Jesus. You don't have to go through all that other stuff. I'll just give it to you right now. And that's the temptation that Jesus has faced by, the, by Satan. And then in Luke's passage, there's a really interesting tag at the end. It says, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Isn't that interesting? That this wasn't the only time Satan tried to tempt Jesus. That there would be other times in his life when Satan would come along and try and tempt him. And he would look for those opportune times where maybe Jesus would give in. Okay, let's take a little break here for a second. Do you know that Satan tries to tempt you? Okay, the answer is yes. Okay, just... Okay. And do you know that he looks for opportune times to try and tempt you? So, um, at, um, Alcoholics Anonymous has a really great little phrase, and I've shared this before, but it's worth repeating. In, in their programs, they say this. They say, don't allow yourself to get two. And it's four things. It's don't allow yourself to get too hungry. Don't allow yourself to get too angry. Don't allow yourself to get too lonely. And don't allow yourself to get too tired. Because those are the opportune times where we can fall. Those are the times where we can give in to a temptation that we knew we shouldn't do. And hungry could be just for food. It can also be for attention. It could be for affection. Angry is just that stuff that gets in us and we just are angry about what's going on and we just like lonely is when we isolate ourselves and feel like we don't really need other people around us and can kind of handle it on our own and we all know what it's like to be tired and just worn out and just say oh I'll just it's easier not to say no because I'm just I'm done with it and so Satan looked for more opportune times to tempt Jesus and I believe he looks for those opportune times in our lives to do the same and it's easy to remember this because it, it's HALT. It's H-A-L-T. Hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And so I would just encourage you to think in your own lives, where do I allow myself to maybe fall into one of those places? And, and could Satan try to get in there and get to me? So Jesus is obedient to the Father. He faces temptation with Satan and another place he faces temptation, and it's very similar to our question here, but it is in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's what will happen on the Thursday night of this week that Jesus will face. You know how this works. He, uh, he washes his disciples' feet. He says, let's go out into the garden. They go out into the garden, and he says to his disciples, he, uh, especially Paul's uh, Peter, James, and John aside, and says, you guys stay here and pray for me. Because my heart is in anguish. And he goes off by himself about a stone's throw away and begins to pray. 
And this is what he prays in chapter 26 of Matthew. He says, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Father, is there any way And could this be just one of those other times? Satan's just trying one last chance. Putting something in Jesus' mind. Hey, maybe there's a different way. Maybe you don't have to go to the cross. And so Jesus comes back and his disciples have fallen asleep. He says, come on, guys, could you not even wait? And he goes back another time and he prays again the same prayer. Father, if there's any way, may this be taken from me. Let this cup pass. But not what I will, but what you will. And he goes back, and his disciples again have fallen asleep. And Jesus then arrested, and he goes through the trial, and he goes to the cross. And I believe the cross is the final temptation that Jesus faces. Because here's what it says in Matthew 27. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. Where have we heard that before? Satan. To Jesus, hey, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones to bread. The same phrase is right here again. If you are the Son of God, in the same way the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. I mean, I, that's kind of this, is the final point, right? I mean, you're, he, Jesus has been crucified. And the people are saying, hey, if you're really the son of God, come on down. And we'll believe in you then. And I just wonder, was there a point where Jesus said, man, I'd love to do that. I'd love to come off this cross and just show you who I am. The chief priest said, yeah, we'll believe in you then. But we believe in him because he stayed on the cross. We believe because he stayed on that cross for you and for I. It's his his resolve, it's his obedience, his perseverance that keeps him there. And ultimately, it's his deep love that keeps him there on the cross. And Paul in Romans 5 talks about it this way. He says, consequently... Just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Isn't that a great word? by the obedience of the one man, Jesus, by his willingness to go through all of this, 
By his willingness to stay on the cross, you and I are made righteous. Our sins have been forgiven. And then ultimately, um, Jesus says, the path of the cross leads to glory. Right? That's what he said at the beginning there. He said, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. For this very reason, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Father, by what I do here, again, I'm obedient, and all I want is for you to be glorified, Father. I want you to show people who you are. I want people to know how great the Father and the Son are together. Show them how much you love the world as the Son goes to the cross. Show them your power as you raise the Son from the dead. And show them your position as you overcome sin, death, and the devil. Show them, Lord, how glorious you are. Show them how powerful you are, how great you are. That is all Jesus wanted. Is that the Father would be glorified. And the Apostle Paul uh, kind of gives a whole overview of everything we've talked about in Philippians chapter 2 in this incredible, incredible little section, verses 5 to 11. And here's what, here's what Paul writes. Here's how he defines this. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself, and by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul writes beautiful, beautiful words about the incarnation of Jesus becoming man talks about his obedience to the Father, his humility, his willingness to die on the cross, but that ultimately all of this is so, that the Father would be glorified. And so it all begins with Jesus on the cusp of the week that's ahead. It all begins with you and I kind of standing with Jesus on this cusp of this week that's ahead of us that changes everything. This week where Jesus will have confrontation with the Jewish leaders and the Roman authorities. This week where Jesus will have the most intimate conversations with his disciples that he would ever have. This week where he will have the last supper with his disciples and he will wash their feet. They will go to the garden and, and Jesus will be betrayed by Judas and arrested by the Jewish authorities and he will be taken to the high priest's house for a trial and there Peter will deny even knowing him and wanting anything to do with him. The next morning Jesus will be taken to Pilate and he will be convicted by Pontius Pilate. He will be beaten, he will be flogged, he will be spit upon, he will be crowned with thorns. 
Though he's exhausted, he will carry his own cross out to there and they will nail him to the cross through his hands and through his feet and they will gamble for his clothes. And he will look down and he will say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. The two thieves will be mocking him and he will look and he will say, it is finished and he will give up his spirit to his father and trust him. He will be speared in the side. He will be taken down. His lifeless body will be taken from the cross and given to Joseph and Nicodemus. He will be laid in a tomb. And then three days later, Mary will wake Peter and John with these words. I've seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. And that's what will bring glory to God. That Jesus overcame death. That Jesus took our sin and our shame. That we might know the righteousness of God. And Jesus stands there on the cusp of that week on Palm Sunday and says, Yes, I'll do it. I'll take the steps ahead. Because that is why I have come. That you, Father, might be glorified. And it begins with Jesus' obedient resolve to do what the Father has called him to do. It's what this week is all about. Now, my guess is that you, as you stand with Jesus on this week, that, that you might be facing something ahead. Something that will test your resolve. Something that will test your obedience and your perseverance. And, and Jesus wants to stand with you in whatever you might be facing. And wants to give you the strength to do what you know you need to do the obedience that you need to give to the Father, the resolve you need to hold on to when it's difficult. And that Jesus, because he's gone through it, can walk through whatever you are going through in your life right now. I think this is what Palm Sunday is all about. It's all about a Savior who said yes. No matter how hard it's going to be, yes. Now the question for us is will we say yes to him? Will we say yes, Lord, I want to follow after you. Yes, Lord, no matter how difficult the road ahead looks, I will continue to walk with you. Yes, Lord, I want to glorify you. I want the Father to be glorified because of how I live. Stand with Jesus today and walk with him this next week. And you'll know the grace, the forgiveness, and the strength of our God. Let me pray for us.
So Lord, we are honestly eternally grateful for the steadfast, obedient resolve of Jesus. That that nothing, nothing could keep him from the cross. And right now, we just thank you for that. We thank you for the forgiveness we can know because of Jesus. We thank you for the life that we can experience because of him. We thank you for those words of Mary, I have seen the Lord. And we thank you for the hope of the resurrection. Use this week, Lord, to prepare us to celebrate the resurrection. Use this week, Lord, to help us to face our own sin on Good Friday. And help us to know that you walk with us in whatever we may be facing. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.